0: What happens if I do speak with interesting people about their game-changing ideas, fresh initiatives and out-of-the-box movements with an eye on the future. And I'd like to think it was a smarter, more compassionate future too. Today, my guest is Dr. Nicole Lee. Nicole is an expert in alcohol and other drug treatment and policy. She's Director at Australia's leading alcohol and other drug specialist consultancy, 360 Edge, and Professor at the National Drug Research Institute She currently serves on Australian National Advisory Council on Alcohol and Other Drugs, and she's published more than 100 journal articles, guidelines, chapters, and books on alcohol and other drug treatment. She's also a regular contributor to The Conversation. Welcome to the show, Nicole. I mean, I know you're Dr. Lee. Do you mind me calling you, Nicole? No, please call me Nicole. that's good <laughs> so that's good. really really pleased to have you on the show first off I'd love to know a little bit more about you where you're from and what led you to working in the field of drugs and you know their use and misuse really. I know you're in the policy space, but you've done a lot of work on use and misuse and and are in the policy space a lot now.
1: yeah, I started um, more in the treatment space and um, have moved uh, more big picture I suppose over time. Um, I actually got into the field completely by accident. I went to university to do computer science and um, didn't really like it. And the only way I could avoid repeating the whole of first year was to do psychology. So I did that instead. And um, then uh, during that course, there was just an interest in – I just gained an interest through some of the lectures that we had in um drug use because it seemed to be a really complicated, complex kind of issue that didn't have at that time, like 30, 40 years ago, didn't have um, some obvious solutions to it. So it was kind of more of an intellectual interest. I didn't have at that time really anybody that I knew that was in trouble with drugs or I didn't have kind of that background, you know, family members or anything like that. Um, it, yeah and then I just started to get more and more interested in it and I, so I've been working in the field for about 28 years now.
0: Mm, so you had kind of more of an armchair interest in as much as you pivoted in from computer science to psych and then thought actually this is really interesting and far more complex than perhaps the media make out or perhaps government make out.
1: Yeah initially that's how I got into it and then of course I started um, being you know started being a psychologist and, and treating people and um, uh, some friends and family members I discovered had uh, drug and alcohol problems. And then so I, it kind, of, I kind of just got more and more um, involved in it and really aside from a, a relatively short time working in the acute mental health space, um, I've worked in alcohol and drugs that whole time.
0: Mm. I know you do a lot of work in the methamphetamine space, but I guess where I'd like to really focus, if we can, for a bit, is on the the changes in the law in cannabis or marijuana, and what you know what the state of play is in a, in Australia. I know that there are referendums that are going to be held in New Zealand this year as to whether um, New Zealanders are keen for it to be legalised. We all certainly know that it's legal in quite a few states in America now or in the US and and I wouldn't be surprised if Australia is starting to actually really look at what some of the stats and findings are because it's been about five or six years now i mean what what's going on in australia as far as you can see because you're right in the middle of it
1: yeah well we've we have um what's referred to as a prohibitionist policy around alcohol uh, around um sorry illicit drugs in australia so um basically they're all illegal mm. uh, still but some states have uh, a long time ago actually moved to decriminalise cannabis and um, also have different responses to other drugs as well. So South Australia is probably the leader in this area and has the most liberal drug laws in Australia. And they have, uh, you, if you get caught with um, small amounts of cannabis that are clearly for personal use, you will get something like a speeding fine. So it's just a a ticket, you have to pay a fine um, and then you're good to go. And for other illicit drugs, there's mandatory referral to educational treatment. So the police um, can't charge you the first time, they have to refer you to treatment. Uh, So it becomes a kind of de facto decriminalisation the ACT also and Northern Territory also have, de- have decriminalised cannabis, but in other states you can still um, face court and go to prison for um, cannabis-related use and possession offences. But what we've seen around the world, as you mentioned, is that um, a whole range of um, jurisdictions have either decriminalised uh, cannabis, which means it's still illegal, but you just get a fine instead of a criminal offence or um, several now have moved to legalise it, including Uruguay, um, some parts of Spain and the US and Canada is just about to um, any month now uh, release its legislation.
0: To decriminalise or to legalise in Canada?
1: To legalise, yep.
0: So that's several states in the US, Canada... Spain what about other countries in Europe? I thought Switzerland was uh, was had legalized drugs I thought the Netherlands as well am I wrong
1: there they those countries Portugal the Netherlands some other um, European countries have decriminalized uh, drugs uh, but they're still technically illegal
0: so it's just the slap on the wrist and the fine is that that's the kind of the tool that they use
1: mostly for cannabis yes um, for uh, in Portugal, for example, there is uh, mm. a a mandatory assessment that you have to undergo if you get caught with any drugs so any drugs for personal use you get um you have to meet with a panel and then they decide uh what what you need to do um, in, yeah in order to avoid prison
0: so what what as so going back to the initial question, which is what is the state of play? I guess from a um, conversation perspective or a mindset perspective in Australia in relation to decriminalising and legalising. So the state of play is yes, they're decriminalised in certain states and territories and this is what's happening worldwide. But what's the, what's the conversation? Because we had a chat the other day and it did, it does feel like it's shifting, doesn't it? You gave me a couple of stats and I was surprised even myself at how high the stats were.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, even a couple of years ago, I I actually remember saying to someone um, in a discussion, if, if we decriminalised drugs in my lifetime, I'd be really surprised. But here we are a couple of years later and, and we are well on the way to at least decriminalising drugs. There's been a couple of attempts, um, at the federal level to put up legislation that would lead the way to being able to decriminalise or legalise drugs just in the last, uh, this year in fact, and we know that about 75% of the Australian population are in favour of at least decriminalisation and about 30% of Australians think it should be legal.
0: So given the 75% figure, why is it taking so long? When was that study done or when was that survey done and who was the survey done by?
1: So that those data have come out of the uh, a range of surveys, but one of the primary ones is the National Drug Household Survey, and um, they ask people they they monitor drug use in the community at a population level, and uh, they also ask a range of questions about opinions about drugs, um, attitudes, and uh, other things like you know where did you first use and that kind of stuff. Um, so those uh, the the data that comes out of there shows that people, the general population, are overwhelmingly um, in support of at least decriminalising um, all drugs, mm. um, but, but particularly cannabis.
0: Mm. Are you aware of how how much time drug offences are taking up in courts in Australia? Do you have any kind of information on that?
1: I don't have um, exact statistics, but it's pretty clear that a large proportion of the um, criminal justice system is taken up with drug-related offences. And there's been a little bit of data that's come from uh, the UK just recently released that showed that something like 75% of um, drug-related offences are to do with cannabis and to do with cannabis possession and use. So that it's just the, the people that are using rather than uh, people who are uh, um, manufacturing or dealing drugs That are being um, affected most by the criminalisation of drugs.
0: Well, and I guess that the court system is also being heavily affected where they perhaps could be freed up to be focusing on other real criminal behaviour rather than, I guess, behaviour that I feel has a real moral perspective to it. The argument I feel has been a very moral one.
1: Yeah, and and certainly when you look at the prison population, um, most people, you know, something like 70 or 80% of them um, have some kind of drug-related offence and they're they're in there for some um, drug-related issue And, and it would free up, it would certainly free up the criminal justice system, it wouldn't be as costly for a start um, because there wouldn't be so many people going through and it would also um, free up to focus on um, more violent crimes and, and some of the more severe criminal activity in Australia.
0: Yeah, maybe like domestic violence and things like exactly. that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I know in 2012, going back to the states, the states of Colorado and Washington became the first in the US to legalize cannabis for recreational use. And a lot of critics feared it would attract like criminal elements, that it would lead to increases in impaired driving incidents and the younger generation being exposed to the drug. But Advocates hoped it would lead to an economic boom and an end to the criminalisation of cannabis users. So I looked up a report that um, came out last year, and in, it had been five years last year. And they provided a view, or well, this particular study provided a view into the range of effects that have been observed since the new regime was implemented. And they said for the criminal elements, the prediction was that the criminal elements would be attracted and the observation was mixed results but overall that the myth was busted. So come in at any time too because I'm just reading these these particular fears and actually what the reality was. Mm-hmm. Um, impaired driving, the prediction was accidents and impaired driving incidents would increase and the observation was actually that it was confirmed. <laughs> so that did increase. Right. In relation to youth exposure, they said there was a prediction that minors would start using cannabis more than they were already and the observation was that that myth was busted. And also in relation to big business, the prediction was that there would be a new legal market, which would lead to an economic boom and the observation was confirmed and that was huge and an end to a criminalisation, criminalization, which we were just talking about, which is that arrests would stop, amnesty would be offered to those already incarcerated and the myth was busted mostly again. And, you know, I just think when you look at those kinds of Facts and it's based on five years of data done across a number of states in the US. Do you feel that that is tipping the conversation in Australia because they're looking at that data and thinking, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense here. What are we doing? Because I know we spend a lot of taxpayers' money on the war against drugs.
1: Yeah, we certainly do, which could be better used um, elsewhere in the drug and alcohol sector and the health sector more generally. And I think you're absolutely right that there's a lot of the fears um, that people had about uh, legalisation and even decriminalisation um, haven't been shown to be the case um, as people have started, as jurisdictions have started to um, decriminalise and legalise uh, particularly cannabis, but uh, in some cases um, other drugs as well. So one of the things that, the, you know, our governments and sometimes the media and community is a little bit obsessed with the number of people who are using drugs rather than, Um, the net harms that are caused by drugs. And really, if you think about it, drug use is only really a problem because of the harms it causes, not because of the number of people. So say we had, you know, would it be a problem, for example, if we saw an increase in numbers of people using cannabis, if we legalised it, if there wasn't a huge increase in health problems? And then on top of that, what if there was um, actual benefits that meant that the overall harms were reduced? And so I think we should be focusing away from things like how many people are using to the the things that you were just referring to, um, thinking about the harms that are caused and um, whether we can ameliorate those harms or whether we're prepared to live with some of those harms. And if you take alcohol, for example, um, you know, we don't want anybody to be intoxicated on anything while they're driving. That's just crazy dangerous mm. um, and the way that we deal with that with alcohol is that we have a whole load of rules and regulations around how much you can drink um, and what kind of blood alcohol level you can have and that um, that blood alcohol levels monitored through random bre- breath testing mm. um, we don't say um, sorry uh, alcohol's banned and you can't drink alcohol anymore because we're worried that people will that Crashes will increase. And it's, you know, if you translate that to cannabis, of course. If you're intoxicated on anything, you're much more at risk when you're driving. Yeah, so don't do that.
0: <laughs> exactly. You could be intoxicated yeah. on pharmaceuticals that are a script from your doctor. So it's like, yeah. you know, people are often intoxicated, sadly, when they're driving, not even aware that they shouldn't be driving.
1: No, and we don't, you know, we don't want them, we don't want people to be driving under the influence of anything. But um, banning the drug is not the solution to that. Education, monitoring, um, all the things that we do around alcohol are um, we're going to be much more um, effective in terms of reducing the harm, which is the the car crash, rather than trying to reduce the use itself.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I mean, I don't know about you, Nicole, but I personally feel that having two kids screaming at each other in the back of my car is far more dangerous for me driving than it is for me to have had a glass of wine. I'm telling you, I know the net effect of both consequences and it's not pretty with the kids. I mean, you know, the kids can be a nightmare. So I often think, you know, do we look at the net effects of a lot of our behaviour? It is just you must have conversations like this a lot with people. What is it about Australia that holds on to these, I guess, let's call them traditional views of drugs and that their use is so bad? What What is it about Australia, do you think?
1: Um, I don't think it's particularly... Australian um there's certainly when you go to the US ironically that it's quite ironic that they've been the first among the first countries to to legalize cannabis because they have them you know among the most draconian drug laws in the world um and in Australia I think we have inherited some of that just say no prohibition um kind of attitude from the US because at you know the time we were developing our drug laws they were fairly dominant in the world um so i think it's not just it's not just us but we we haven't really let that go and the, i mean the funny thing on the flip side of that is that australians are among the biggest drug users in the world oh, so we, we i like, didn't
0: know that oh okay let's talk about that i didn't know that <laughs> Um, we have a high... We, oh, is it alcohol? Huge, huge alcohol, and I guess we were tobacco users as well. Yeah,
1: so we're certainly up there for alcohol and tobacco, although we've done an, uh, an amazing job reducing the effects from smoking and also the number of people smoking. Um, mm. But things like, you know, methamphetamine, we've got the among the highest rate of methamphetamine use in the world, and we're, we're pretty up there with cannabis as well. So... Um, I don't, you know, I don't know what it is that we're uh, a little bit stuck at the moment. Uh, 10 or 20 years or 20 years ago, we used to be really world leaders. The world used to look to us for harm reduction strategies in in terms of drug use. And we went a bit conservative there for a little while. And I think we're still in that conservative phase.
0: Mm, So do you think it's a partisan issue? You'd like to think, in a, in a general health perspective, that we could at least have a bipartisan approach to something as huge as as drug decriminalisation or legalisation given that you know the harm it's cost to personal health and the legal system as well as the economy.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you were looking at it logically, it's just a no-brainer, really. But it does tend to, the more conservative end of politics does tend to favour prohibitionist policies um, more than the other end of uh, the spectrum. Um, so you know, and certainly we've got a conservative government, federal government at the moment, and a number of conservative um, state governments.
0: Interestingly, the more conservative or the right side of politics generally think that they do better in business than the left, and therefore, going with that, you would run with the data. I know that a 2015 report. From a guy called Matt Ferner of the Huffington Post, found that legal cannabis had become the fastest-growing industry in the U.S., with the national market expanding from 1.5 billion in 2013 to 2.7 billion in 2014. So it's it's ironic, isn't it? We're going to reduce the debt. You know, we've got all these amazing growth and jobs, growth and jobs. And I'm thinking, well, there's one. Industry Mm. that you could legalize and you get growth and jobs there. Yeah. You idiots.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's a real struggle for um, some people to reconcile that with their. Own moral views about drugs, and I think that's the block. Um, the main block is that there's some people, a significant number of people, still, and those people, some people in power, who have a significant um, moral disagreement with the use of drugs. So, just the the South Park drugs are bad, don't do drugs kind of um, idea, without actually yeah. thinking
0: through. But just so bizarre. Like, are they less re- well read? I- do they just not read? Do they not look at the data? You know, I work in tech. I've been working in innovation and tech for a number of years now, and and I work with data, and data is power these days. Back in the day, data wasn't considered powerful, but these days everyone says how powerful data is, and the data all points towards how much smarter it would be to legalise drugs, particularly a drug like cannabis
1: yeah well i agree with that um that view uh as well but um there's a whole i mean i think there's a whole load
0: of other considerations well so what okay so what can happen i know so it's like they've got a moral view so it's like well how can you expose them to actually perhaps nudging them in a way that is a little bit more open-minded Because the people that are wanting to legalise aren't always hippies on the left. That's what I think the the argument becomes very facile. It's like it's not these bizarre hippies on the left saying that they want it to be decriminalised or legalised. It's actually very intelligent, well-regarded scientists, professionals, thought leaders who are all saying the same thing. So what is it that we could do, do you feel, To try and nudge people on the right to have a more open view to look at the data.
1: Yeah, I I think that um, this uh, the kind of moral. barrier is very strong and one of the I mean one of the recent developments um, in you know outside cannabis but looking at other drugs is the idea of um, pill testing at uh, festivals and things and before um, the first pill testing happened just you know a couple of months ago even people who were relatively in favour of it were a little bit quiet because they were just wanted to wait and see what would happen. Um, and once it's happened and nothing, you know, there was, you know, the sky didn't fall in and, in fact, um, we probably saved a number of kids' lives by, having, um, th- by them having their drugs tested and, and therefore them deciding not to use them because they had dangerous things in them. Mm-hmm. Um, When we saw that was okay, now there's a whole load of people coming out, um, including police and um, government people, saying, I think this is probably a good idea. And I think that the idea that drugs are bad and there's something inherently wrong with them is a real barrier until we can see that the sky isn't going to fall in when we make some changes.
0: So what was that mechanism? I remember the news. I remember seeing it in the news. But who took the risk? Who was able to say, hey, listen, we're going to do this? at this festival, who made that decision? I mean, obviously it needed approval. But but where did it come from?
1: There's been uh, there's been a group of people, uh, David uh, Matt Mattenovs, Alex Wodak, a whole range of people who are quite well known within the sector, who have mm. been pushing for this for a very long time, for several you know several years, mm. and have been just working in the background, um, chipping away at it, and then had managed to uh, get groove in the Moo to um, agree to have pill testing they've gone around and checked with the police and checked with lawyers and made sure that it wasn't illegal to do that and how they could make it um, you know legally safe for the participants and for the people who were doing the testing and uh, so they put all their ducks in a row and they've just been um, kind of pushing forward as much as they can. And finally we got a test case and it turned out really well. So now everyone's kind of going, well, actually that was pretty good. We might try it again somewhere else. Yeah. So I, th- I think it is really about um, people being able to see that
0: That the sky doesn't fall in. So there's not not, going to be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like little test cases everywhere. So are there any test cases? So I guess there are test cases in South Australia. Uh, Isn't South Australia a test case? Is the Northern Territory and ACT a test case?
1: Certainly for decriminalisation. And that seems to me to be a relatively um easy step to make um with very little political fallout given the number of people who uh, agree with it in Australia and um it's not it's still not going to make drugs legal so it that's a that's a nice small step forward that we could easily take right now i think legalization will take some thinking through um the different models around the world are quite different from each other so uh, the US has gone with a very as you'd expect a very commercial model whereas Canada um, and uh, some of the other European countries have kind of gone with a more um, a non-commercial model, where the government really runs the cannabis um, sales.
0: Oh right, I didn't know that.
1: Mm. So you would.
0: So what do you what would what, what do you think will happen in Australia? I mean, it sounds like there's an impetus there now. It sounds like there's a little bit of momentum. Do you feel like there's a particular country that Australia looks to for policy guidance
1: in my view the the Canadian um, the Canadian legislation is probably the closest to what we would be looking at it's a non-commercial model the government has a lot of control it's kind of a little bit like the way we operate um, alcohol, Uh, outlets so the government has a lot of control regulatory control but there's commercial um, sales whereas somewhere like uh, Uruguay have have um, gone for a really tight uh, government model so they've the government controls every step of the process including the sale so I think that our our culture and our um, legal system is quite like Canada. So I'd be looking at the Canadian model and, and um, seeing how that would fit in Australia.
0: Wow. I'm pleased you're surprised that we've moved on so quickly in the space of Ooh. two years. I just think, you know, it's been, <coughs> pardon me. I remember writing about hemp and its uses, um, whether it was for medicinal cannabis or whether it was for, you know, clothing or paper or whatever. Twenty Five years ago wow. and so that's how long I've been in this space going I just don't understand why they wouldn't see it as an economical opportunity as well as it, it does it does have all these amazing benefits but it just it's been 25 years of against 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 and I just think it's such a fascinating topic because it's people's mindsets and how hard it is how hard it is to change. People's mindsets, let alone if it's pumped up by a government saying, "Yes, those mindsets are correct. Let's just let's just make sure the war on drugs is is our main priority." Yeah, and
1: you know, I mean, there's a there's a psychological process um, where you know we we know that um, when things don't fit with our beliefs. That we tend to just, instead of changing our beliefs, we tend to chuck out the evidence instead, and that's that's just a tendency, um, generally for for people. So, you know, drug use is going to suffer from the same problems. We've we've seen, for example, for cannabis. You know, we talk we talk about loosening up the the laws around cannabis. The AMA and some other doctors have come out and said, oh, but it doubles the risk of psychotic symptoms, not. I'm putting, you know, I guess not putting that into um, some kind of context that, for example, schizophrenia is um, a very low prevalence disorder in the community with about 1% of the population experiencing it. So if it doubles, it's only 2%. And it's only... <laughs> I know. Like, it's things like that
0: that you yeah. think, yes, where's the context? Why context? do you lose the context?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and even, um, even if it doubles, it's only doubling among the 10% of people who actually use cannabis so it's a very very small proportion of um people and so the risk that even though it sounds like doubles the risk is really huge it the risk is actually very low so we, i i think some of it is really about you know trying to educate people and making sure that we do put that context around it and you know it, it's quite disappointing to me to see um some people using data to kind of further their own agenda rather than looking at it, you know, in in an objective kind of way. But it's also heartening to see people, you know, like the police commissioner and ex-police commissioner and other people kind of coming out in support of um, harm reduction Mm. rather
0: than prohibition. How's Victoria placed compared to the rest of Australia in this, you know, in this space?
1: We tend in Victoria, we do tend to um, have a... Uh, among the more uh, smaller liberal views about drugs but it did take a bit of a push to get um the safe injecting facility up and running here and there was a, there was a lot of ajibaji with the even with the kind of left government that's a bit left of center that we currently have to get that up and running but it did get up and running and i think um now there's more of a, an interest in harm reduction more generally at the government level and at the community level and the the government has just recently over the last few years put a lot more money into drug treatment and that Mm. tends to um, make people feel safer about kind of loosening up drug laws as well.
0: Yeah where are we in the treatment space for drugs? I mean you're certainly knee deep in methamphetamine abuse i know that how how's it going cuz i know a few years ago it was dire if you were seeking treatment i mean it was really hard
1: yeah look there's a there's a couple of issues that tend not to get unpacked when we're talking about treatment. The first one is that the drug and alcohol sector has been for a very long time and continues to be chronically underfunded. There's no question about that. Some of the modelling um, that's been done in the last few years shows that um, the the funding for drug treatment is only about half that that's required. Um, So we're in it and we just have to accept that that's the situation. We can lobby for more um, funds but we're not going to double the funds. Um mm.
0: the... I could think where well, we could get funds. Isn't yes. that amazing? Isn't yes. that amazing that you could use the sale of a certain product to fund treatment? Wouldn't that be an incredible concept?
1: Yeah, and that's um the Greens leader, Richard Di Natale, um proposed to legalise cannabis a few months ago when that was exactly his argument that we should um be, you know, taxing drugs and not kind of leaving them on the black market and then using the millions and millions of dollars that we would gain from that to put into drug treatment.
0: Yeah. Mm. He's a former GP like he has been on the cold face of drug harm and what it does and trying to help. I mean doctors are there to help. So I would imagine he's done a lot of reading and research about this subject. So I I fully support his his policy um, you know conversation around it.
1: Hmm. Mm.
0: And yeah. I think a lot of the community do too. I guess what, what's really frustrating is the partisanness of politics. It's hard, isn't it? When you think, when you're looking at a human perspective is not always party politics, is it? It's like, really? It's just, it's so clear.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess to be fair to policymakers, there's a whole load of other um, factors they need to take into consideration, not just the evidence, but, you know, community sentiment and um, other initiatives that are happening and all sorts of other things. But it, it does seem, you know, pretty obvious on the face of it that we should be at least decriminalising drugs. And there's a, a fairly strong argument that a regulation of Um, cannabis and probably other drugs, rather than leaving it on the black market, would actually reduce the net harms rather than increase them.
0: Yeah, reduce them quite significantly. So I hope in the future, I mean, what are your predictions? I'm hoping that we have a tripartisan approach to to drug legalisation or certainly decriminalisation. I personally hope that that politicians can evolve to a state where humans come first and not their party policies?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's no question in my mind that there's a case for decriminalisation. One of the problems with the legalisation problem or the regulation um, issue is that drug policy is state-based, so every state makes its own drug laws.
0: Yeah, um, which is the same issue with the states. I know they've had issues that it's it's all state. Yes, based as well and
1: in um in the us in fact it's still um federally uh not legal um but in yeah. some states it is uh legal so there's there's a whole lot of things that we probably need to get through in terms of models and you know the consequent potential consequences of those and how that's going to work um but yeah certainly decriminalizations in my brain are for me
0: Yeah. Tell me a little bit about who the people are in the space that people could look to, some of our listeners could look to if they were interested in learning more about what's happening with with perhaps the decriminalisation or legalisation of drugs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Greens are probably um, promoting, are probably politically strongest in promoting um, that, but there's some independents also doing that. I think that one of the um, the things that people can do is go talk to their local member and follow some of the harm minimisation advocates um, on social media. You get a lot of information around there, so there are people like, uh, David Caldicott, who's, uh, very active in the, um, pill testing area, Alex Wodak, Matt Noffs, um, uh, yeah, a whole range of other, other people. Any women? Me, uh, Monica, Monica, Monica <laughs> Barrett, yes. Nicole, Monica Barrett is, um, she's, uh, been very, um, influential in the pill testing area too. And, uh, and I would be following some, you know, what's happening overseas, particularly in Canada because that will be interesting to see when they, when they actually enact their legislation.
0: So it's actually going to become legislation?
1: Yes, they've been talking. I, I'm not sure where it's up to now, but the, um, over the last few months they've been talking about a June or July um, uh, deadline for mm-hmm. that to come into, into play, yeah. So very soon. i expecting sometime this year, but um, probably in the next few months.
0: And I guess they'll be looking to New Zealand as well, given that they're such a close neighbour.
1: Yes, and with the change of government um, in New Zealand, uh, they've Mm. they've certainly made a whole load of um, really positive moves towards harm reduction, including thinking about decriminalisation and legalisation and a whole range of other other harm reduction uh, issues.
0: Jacinta Hearn is just amazing. Even her conversations about refugees are, you know, inspiring. So it's nice to know that our neighbours are doing some really progressive things in the space (laughs) of what's become quite divided politics in Australia
1: yeah absolutely
0: listen thank you so much for coming on the show nicole it's been really interesting listening to your take on on what's happening in the policy space in australia i love that you're um as progressive as you are i'm hoping i can have you back in say a year and we talk about this again and see how far we've come in perhaps victoria australia or what's happening globally and and hopefully we've taken some really positive steps in the right direction
1: Yeah, that'd be fabulous, Lizzie. Thanks for having me.